0: Hello, and welcome back to our fourth season entitled Dark Stories Noir. For tonight's tale, an ethnographer is commissioned to locate an old professor who may have found a magical relic located in a forgotten tomb. We present to you, Search for the Golden Tomb. Charlie leaned back in his chair and whistled. Rubbing his chin, he looked back down at the stack of money, map, and photograph on his desk. It all seemed so odd, he thought, and indeed, it was all rather odd. Sitting on the opposite side of the desk was Mr. and Mrs. Porter. A half hour earlier, they had entered Charlie's office, unannounced and without knocking. Charlie had been packing his case, getting ready to leave for the day, when a tall, slender gentleman was suddenly standing before him. A briefcase in hand. His tan suit was a tad tight, and his tucked-in tie looked as though it was about to pop out of his suit jacket. Behind him, a woman, slightly shorter, also dressed in tan, with dark hair pinned up underneath a velvet hat. Before Charlie could say anything to his new guest, Mrs. Porter declared who they were, and the purpose of their visit. They were funding an expedition to the southern continent, Mrs. Porter began to explain, once they were seated. They were in search of a particular relic, a skull in fact, that legend says belonged to one of the first settlers across the ocean, who was revered for their shamanistic abilities. The skull apparently was used for magical purposes upon the death of the shaman. Stories began to spread, of course, and soon people from halfway around the world would travel to get near the relic. After many years, a long stream of strangers coming and going from the small village, who decided the skull would be hidden away deep in the forest. Hidden, in fact, in a golden tomb. Charlie listened carefully to Mrs. Porter, all the while rubbing his hands. When she concluded her story, he licked his lips and said politely, That is quite the magnificent story, Mrs. Porter, but I am afraid I don't understand how I could be of any use. My experience is an ethnography of the native inhabitants of the southwest desert, not the rainforest of the southern continent. You were once a student of Dr. Johannes, is that correct? Mrs. Porter asked. Charlie nodded in the affirmative, then adding, I have not spoken with him in some time, though. Yes, of course, we are aware of this, Mrs. Porter replied. But you are familiar with the region, correct? Somewhat, yes, Charlie answered. Dr. Johannes is the expert, really. I only went down with there once for about six months before catching malaria, then being sent home shortly after recovering. Charlie paused for a second before asking, is Dr. Johannes not available? Mr. and Mrs. Porter briefly glanced at each other before Mr. Porter reached into his pocket, pulling out a folded piece of paper. As he did this, Mrs. Porter began again. Dr. Johannes was our project lead on the expedition. For all intents and purposes, the project was going quite smoothly. We were receiving almost weekly updates and tracking his movements on a map that he had sent back to us. Then the letter slowed before stopping altogether. For several months, nothing. Then a week ago, we received a message that the tomb had indeed been found. And as proof, a photograph of the skull was included with the letter. As Mrs. Porter spoke, Mr. Porter opened the briefcase, removing and then placing a map and photograph on Charlie's desk. Charlie smoothed out the map and traced the route with his fingers. Only when Mrs. Porter mentioned the photograph did Charlie then look at it. Grainy, but in black and white, Charlie made out the image of a human skull sitting on what looked like a pedestal. At length, the three sat in silence as Charlie looked over the items on his desk. Finally, he said, so the tomb was found. I apologize, but I'm a little confused on what else is needed. Mr. Porter handed Charlie the folded piece of paper while Mrs. Porter spoke. Two days ago, we received a telegraph from one of our guides in the region saying Mr. Johannes had gone missing with the relic. They believe others may have realized his discovery and have come after him. If that is the case, why come to me? Surely this is a matter for the police, or at least the country's authority to handle, if his life is in danger, Charlie asked. This, of course, is not possible, as we clearly don't need any unwanted attention, for obvious reason, Mrs. Porter explained. We have clients, you see, and goods are expected to be delivered. Charlie grew uneasy. For a long time, he rubbed his hands, not knowing what to say to all of this. Suddenly, Mr. Porter spoke. You will be well compensated, if that's any concern to you. Mr. Porter once again reached into the briefcase and produced a bundle of cash, tied together. We are prepared to offer $1,000 for your assistance. Mr. Porter concluded, placing the money on the desk next to the map and photograph. It was all rather odd. At length, Charlie asks, what is it you're asking of me? Do you require to locate the skull? You misunderstand, sir, Mrs. Porter said. We know where the skull is, with Dr. Johannes, who we think has absconded back to the tomb to keep the discovery secret, as he would be the only person who knows the location. Upon finishing speaking, both Mr. and Mrs. Porter stood to leave. Mr. Porter handed Charlie a card with a phone number that it could be reached at while Mrs. Porter explained that time is of the essence, that discretion is to be expected or the deal is off, before finishing with, search for the golden tomb, only then will you find your old teacher, Dr. Johannes. Bidding Charlie a good day, his guests exited the office. As soon as they were out of earshot, Charlie picked up the phone and dialed the office of Dr. Johannes. Possibly he could have reached out to a colleague for help in such desperation. The voice on the other end of the telephone didn't immediately answer when Charlie asked about Dr. Johannes. Eventually, the voice asked if he could please hold. While he waited, Charlie looked out the window of his office. Gray clouds lined the horizon, and from the west, darker clouds were peeking through. Rain was coming. Still on hold, Charlie sat back down at his desk and opened the newspaper. The headline read, Body found near Northside Bridge. Charlie shook his head. Another one, he thought but before he could finish his thinking, the voice was back on the line. Dr. Johannes wasn't available, the voice told him, but if he was available tomorrow afternoon, his assistant would be more than happy to meet him at the department library. Charlie agreed and hung up. The following afternoon, Charlie entered the Library of Ethnographic and Anthropologic Studies. The large hall was filled with tables with little green shaded dull reading lamps. It was also virtually empty, save for two individuals, one near the door, the other in the far back with the typewriter. The sound of slow, rhythmic clicking echoed off the walls. Charlie wasn't sure he would be meeting him or where he should wait. Taking a few steps in, the person nearest to the door looked up and waved at him, indicating for him to come over. As soon as he approached the table, the individual stood up and offered their hand and introduced themselves. Her name was Mindy, and she was a student at the university, studying under Dr. Johannes. I have been told you are inquiring about the professor, Mindy began after Charlie had settled across from her. Unfortunately, I have some terrible news. It appears our teacher has vanished once again on another expedition. That is unfortunate to hear, Charlie responded. Do you know when he might return? Mindy shook her head. It's unclear, really, she replied. Mindy must have sensed an uneasiness in Charlie for she went on to explain that the whole affair seemed rather sudden. One day the professor was diligently working on his next book, then the next he was hurriedly packing. No reason was given to her or why. He was gone later that afternoon. From what she understood, this wasn't all that unusual for Dr. Johannes to behave in such a manner. Charlie remembered that this to be true. There was a brief silence between the two, while in the background the rhythmic clicking continued on. Finally, Mindy asked, May I inquire as to what you need, the professor? While not a great substitute, I may be of assistance nonetheless. Charlie hesitated, unsure of how much he could reveal. But soon he said he was working on a research paper concerning burial practices and wanted to see if their teacher could provide materials about the Southern continent, in particular the use of tombs and relics in their veneration. Mindy furrowed her brow and thought for several moments before shaking her head. The use of tombs, she said, is mainly old world and never really caught on amongst the original inhabitants. The few tombs that have been built, or rather have survived, were erected near religious points as to protect the dead until the end times. As for relics, Mindy continued on, she was not aware of any that would have been worshipped, least of all by the indigenous groups. The only exception would be the monstrouses used by the newer religious communities that have moved in during the last hundred years. Though, Mindy stressed, she was only a student. Perhaps Dr. Johannes had found something in his studies, Mindy said, eyes lighting up, a sight no one knows about. Perhaps, Charlie replied, perhaps. For a second, he had the strong urge to reveal what Dr. Johannes might have found, but fought against it. If what she was telling me is true, Charlie thought, what did Dr. Johannes really find? Charlie rose to leave, the meeting in his mind being finished. He thanked her for her time and promised to let her know if he hears anything from the professor. It all still seemed odd. For an hour, Charlie roamed around the university's campus, trying to sort it all out. The seemingly conflicting information sat on his shoulders like a weight. He began to question his involvement. If his old teacher had indeed found a tomb that was not supposed to be found, that shouldn't even exist, what would happen to him if he should find it as well? The thought excited him as well as pushed him away. Shoving his hands in his pockets, Charlie made his way back to the office, determined to turn down the offer. The phone was already ringing when he entered. It was Mr. Porter. His voice sounded distant. Have you decided to accept our offer? Mr. Porter asked. I'm sorry, but I still don't think I could be of any use, Charlie answered. Mr. Porter didn't respond for some time and the coldness of the silence chilled Charlie we are prepared to offer you double Mr. Porter said at length as well as fund any research projects you have planning for the next year no grants free money to pursue all interest I um Charlie muttered it was hard to reject such a gift a world one of academic achievement spun in his head There is a plane ticket waiting for you at the check-in counter, along with your money, Mr. Porter informed him. When you arrived, he continued, find Ignatius. He was Dr. Johannes' guide. Then finally, before hanging up, and remember, we expect discretion. Bewildered, Charlie nodded at the empty line before hanging up. On his desk still lay the photograph and map. He looked at both deeply before turning away, for it felt as though the items were looking back. Presently he gathered his things and before leaving home to pack, he left that message with the department switchboard saying his expertise was required at a field site of an unknown return date. Sixteen hours later, Charlie stepped on the water rotted dock of Tanaka. After a long plane ride and two boats down the river, Charlie was ready to stand on solid ground. It took him a few minutes to find his footing and lose his sea legs. Charlie had been here before, many years earlier. It was the same village he would depart six months later after his bout with malaria. Try as he might, he couldn't remember if the village had changed at all. He was sure it had, though the docks seemed about the same. An old man on a bicycle rode towards him, then stopped and welcomed him to the village. Charlie nodded in acknowledgment, for he had lost almost all the memory of their language, and then asked where he could find Ignatius, the guide. The old man smiled, pointing towards a cafe. Ignatius looked out of place, dressed in a blue shirt and pants with a wide-brim hat, while the others in the village wore simple gray tunics. Regardless, he also seemed to be popular. Ignatius sat at a table with a half-dozen other men. They were all laughing, but as Charlie approached, the merriment dagged down. Fourteen eyes now stared at him, with a few tenuously slipping their drinks. Charlie introduced himself and asked if they could speak in private. Ignatius nodded and waved the others at the table away. When they had cleared, Charlie sat down, placing his pack on the table. What is it I could do for you? Ignatius asked. Charlie told him he had been informed that he had acted as a guide to Dr. Johannes. Ignatius shook his head, saying this wasn't entirely the case. Yes, Dr. Johannes had indeed arrived at the village and asked for his assistance, but he had only taken him part of the way to a creek. For what the professor sought after is located on sacred ground where he is forbidden to go charlie pulled the map from his pack and showed it to ignatius asking if he had seen it before ignatius nodded rapidly saying of course of course do you think you could show me where you let him charlie asked ignatius sat back in his chair oh no no this i cannot do your friend wandered into the forest and has not returned for several weeks Surprised, Charlie quickly said, I was told he had returned and then left for his safety a week ago. A telegram was sent, Ignatius cut him off. Do you know who sent this telegram? We have no telegram office here. We have mail, but due to our location, we only get deliveries and pickups every two weeks. And it takes just as long to be delivered. Charlie's shoulders dropped. If that is the case, Dr. Johannes had not been missing for a week, but for over a month nor had he ever returned from his expedition. Charlie could not help but feel lost and confused. Ignatius just stared at him. At length, Charlie asked, have you ever heard of a golden tomb? I believe he might have gone there in search of a relic. I need to find him. Not before your friend arrived, Ignatius replied, and there are no relics around here. I told him just as much. Funny thing though, a few months before your friend arrived, Rumors began to circulate that something was being built deep in the forest. Sometimes, late at night, we could hear vehicle noises being carried with the wind. What is being built? asked Charlie. We don't know. It was being done on the land we are forbidden to walk on, answered Ignatius, though from what I hear, from the few that got as close as they could, it looked like they were building some kind of building. Maybe it was your golden tomb you were after. Again, nothing made sense. Could any of this be true? Charlie tried to put the pieces together in his head. Why was Dr. Johannes here? If the tomb is recent and contains no relics, what was he looking for? Another thought sent shivers down Charlie's spine. The why had Mr. and Mrs. Porter sent him down here to begin with? Charlie sat up. How accurate is this map? Very from what I can tell, replied Ignatius. It looks like his route started here, said Charlie, more to himself than anything. And this must be the creek which you guided him towards. Charlie traced an invisible line with his finger. All the while, Ignatius nodded in agreement. He went south from here. Overall, it looks like it took three days of hiking into the forest before reaching the tomb. Ignatius looked at him in disbelief. You are going to try to find him? Yes, tomorrow morning I will leave, but I will need supplies, Charlie said. Ignatius showed him where a small shop where he could buy water and canned food. Before leaving, Ignatius said to Charlie, Good luck, my friend. I hope you return. As soon as daybreak began, Charlie was up and heading out of the village. It wasn't long before he found the well-worn path fade away to dirt, then grass as he entered the forest. It would still be several hours before he expected to reach the creek. He would spend the time letting his mind wander thinking here and there about what he might find once he reaches the tomb. He thought about the conversation with Mindy and Ignatius. A sinking feeling entered his stomach. If the tomb doesn't exist, then what happened to Dr. Johannes? He pushed these feelings away and watched as curious animals scurried through the trees, stopping every so often to look down at him before moving on. The sun was beginning to set. This worried Charlie as by his calculations he should have reached the creek by now. He pressed on, hoping that he would stumble upon it just beyond the visible tree line. It was only when he was about to stop and set up camp when he heard the water in the distance. As the last remaining sunlight sprinkled through the trees, Charlie approached the creek and breathed a sigh of relief. No sooner had he laid down, his head became fuzzy with sleep. He tried to fight it off for he would have liked something to eat, but to no avail. He slipped into unconsciousness as strange sounds echoed around him. Again, he was up and on his way as soon as the sun had risen. The second day was much like the first, with Charlie stopping only a few times to check the map, making sure he was following the correct path. On the third day, he was awoken by rain trickling through the trees. For some reason, he had not expected this, so spent the first half of his day doing his best to keep from getting completely soaked. By midday, however, the rain had stopped, which was of great relief. It was also around this time that he knew the tomb was only a few hours away. Adrenaline kicked in, and soon Charlie was walking as fast as he could. Anticipation was making his heart beat faster, while nerves twisted in his stomach. He was close, he could tell, just a little bit longer. Suddenly, in the distance, an odd twinkling was noticed. Not in the sky, but lower. He walked fast, and the twinkling started to become a solid light. Any moment now, he could feel it, just a few meters away. Breaking through the tree line, Charlie found himself in a wide, circular clearing and directly in the center stood, almost unbelievably, the golden tomb. Charlie fell to his knees, smiling, breathing as deeply as he could to calm his excitement. It was real. The tomb exists. Rising himself up, he made his way closer. The tomb was larger than expected and for some time he walked around the structure, feeling the brick walls and the four corner spires that reached 50 feet into the sky. The tomb itself was designed in the old Gothic tradition, so the entire edifice looked as though it was growing from the ground, life from death. Charlie dropped his pack, took a step back and tried to take it all in again. At length, he adjusted and smoothed out his clothes and made his way towards a gate leading into the tomb, then entered inside was dark and dry, and a strong rust smell lingered throughout. Charlie pulled the lighter from his pocket and flicked it on. The small amount of light that emanated from his raised hand helped, but not much. He walked deeper into the tomb, trying to look for any signs that someone had been there. But with each step, he grew more concerned. For not only was there no sign of life, there were large maroon stains littering the floor. Holding out the lighter further, he followed the stains until they ended at the foot of a concrete riser, with another concrete column protruding out of it. He followed it up until at last he was looking at the top of a pedestal, and on it a human skull. The skull from the picture, he was sure of it. But where was Dr. Johannes? Behind him, he heard the gate open. Whirling around, Charlie instantly felt a sting in his shoulder. He was only able to take a step forward when he became light headed and collapsed in front of the pedestal flashlights flooded the tomb, and he could make out the shapes of two individuals behind the lights. And though his vision became fuzzy, for a moment he saw one of the figures bend down in front of him and could make out the face of Mr. Porter, staring back at him. Please hurry, the second figure said behind Mr. Porter. We don't have much time. The organs need to be removed before the poison takes hold. Nodding, Mr. Porter opened his case and pulled out a long surgical knife. Charlie's vision was now gone, but he was still conscious. As he felt himself slip away, Mr. Porter said, You did well, finding your old teacher, for that is his skull sitting above you. The figure behind him snickered, then regained their composure, reminding Mr. Porter to once again hurry. Charlie felt the knife penetrate his abdomen, then slide across, then wet against his legs. Then, nothing. The clock on the wall rang in the hour. The on-duty librarian walked from table to table, turning off the dull lights. All but one, that is. Mindy still had an hour left before she was finished in the library. The librarian bade her goodnight and asked her she remembered to lock up when she leaves. Mindy promised, then returned to her books, as the closing of the heavy front door rang throughout. However, no sooner had the echo died when the door reopened. Mindy looked up expecting to see the librarian, perhaps returning for a gotten item, but no. Standing in front of her was a man and a woman, both dressed in tan. Good evening, the man said. I am Mr. Cross, and this is Mrs. Cross. We are here to discuss a proposition with you. Outside the night had grown cold, and as people rushed to return home after a long day at work, the heavy clouds relaxed, and it soon began to snow.